I can invite you to remain standing for our scripture reading, which comes from 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 through 13. My dear friends, this is now my second letter to you. I've written both letters to stir up your sincere understanding with a reminder. I want you to recall what the holy prophets foretold, as well as what the Lord and Savior commanded through your apostles. Most important, know this. In the last days, scoffers will come, jeering, living by their own cravings and saying, where is the promise of his coming? After all, nothing has changed, not since the beginning of creation, nor even since the ancestors died. But they fail to notice that, by God's word, heaven and earth were formed long ago out of water and by means of water. And it was through these that the, through these that the world of that time was flooded and destroyed. But by the same word... Heaven and earth are now held in reserve for fire, kept for the judgment day and destruction of ungodly people. Don't let it escape your notice, dear friends, that with the Lord a single day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like a single day. The Lord isn't slow to keep his promise, as some think of slowness, but he is patient toward you, not wanting anyone to perish, but all to change their hearts and lives. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. On that day, the heavens will pass away with a dreadful noise. The elements will be consumed by fire, and the earth and all the works done on it will be exposed. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what sort of people ought you to be? You must live holy and godly lives, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God. Because of that day, the heavens will be destroyed by fire, and the elements will melt away in the flames. But according to his promise, we are waiting for a new heaven and a new earth, where righteousness is at home. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. If I can invite you to be seated, please. Well, it's good to be here with you this morning as we are taking some time to continue our sermon series as we're looking at some of the shortest books of the Bible. These books have few words. But their message is just as important as if we were reading another one of the letters of Paul or one of the other letters that we read in the New Testament. Of the books that we've looked at the Bible, we, the last two weeks we've read uh, books that were so short that we read them in their entirety in our scripture reading. When we read uh, 2 John and 3 John, both of them are less than a chapter. They're just a number of verses, and so we read all of them. And this morning's book that we've just heard a portion of is a little bit longer, although it's short. You could probably sit down and read it in less than five minutes this afternoon, and that book is 2 Peter. And so this morning, I want us to think a little bit about 2 Peter, about what it says, who it was written to, and then also we'll take a little bit of time to look specifically at the passages that we've read, and then as well as one other one that, that kind of jumped out at me this past week. 2 Peter is one of the shortest books of the Bible. It consists of three chapters, like I said a minute ago, like the letters of John, uh, that we've read the past two Sundays, there is some discrepancy in the authorship of who wrote this letter, as well as the letter that we called 1 Peter. If you'll remember in chapter 3, verse 1 that we just read, the author of the letter says, I have written both of these letters to you. And so we believe that both letters are written by the same author, but there is some disagreement over the authorship. And that depends on what biblical scholar you read or what commentary you're reading. And so tradition dictates that 1 Peter and 2 Peter were written by the Apostle Simon Peter. 
If you read in the very first chapter of 2 Peter, it says, I, Simon Peter, an apostle of God, da 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 who writes this letter to you. Others believe that this letter was written by a disciple of Simon Peter, someone that followed him. And then after Simon Peter's death, this person realized that the message that he had given needed to be communicated to others in the church, and so they wrote it down. The dating of this letter is somewhere between 63 and 65 AD. And so for me, that works because I think this letter was written by Simon Peter. I think the dating works because it gives credibility and flexibility in looking at it and also knowing roughly when we believe Simon Peter was killed. I think it works with his ministry and I think it works with how he's communicating with, with others in the church through these letters. And so tradition says that Simon Peter died a martyr's death. He was crucified upside down in the city of Rome in A.D. 64 or 65 when the emperor Nero was persecuting the Christians. And so the dates line up for me if that, that would work for, for Peter to have written this letter to another Christian church even as he was in Rome when he was imprisoned, preparing for his death, knowing that his death was pending, just like the Apostle Paul when he spent his time imprisonment in Rome. Both of them still communicated with the church. Both of them still wrote letters and, and received visitors from other churches and faith communities that were coming to them to tell them what was going on, to share with them uh, what was happening in the church, but also to have them answer and address different challenges that they themselves were facing in their own Christian communities. And see, so this works for me. Because we know that Simon Peter had connections with other Christian communities. If you read through the book of Acts, which you know we're not going to do this morning, but there are a number of, of passages of Scripture where Peter interacts or relates to other churches. There's a period where Peter left Jerusalem for a short period of time when the Christians in Jerusalem were being persecuted. There's also a time when, when Peter returned and he was there for the council of Jerusalem and, and that was when Paul came back and they had to decide is the Christian faith for Gentile or Jew or both? And while not knowing the exact time, you can read in 1 Corinthians where it says that Peter spent time in Corinth to minister and then we know at the end of his life, at the end of his ministry, he ended up in the city of Rome where he was put to death like I mentioned before. So it works for me to think that the Apostle Peter could have written this letter and 1 Peter before his death because he was in community, he was in relationship, he did know other Christians that were part of other churches. His ministry wasn't contained or confined to the city of Jerusalem, although he spent much of his, his time and apostolic time, ministry there. But he also branched out. And he met others, talked to others. And so he would have been someone that other churches would have sent questions to him, just like we read with Paul, just like we read in the letters of John, where they're saying, this is what we're hearing. What are we supposed to do? So the church that we read this letter is written to is one that is reaching or reacting and, and receiving generally the challenges that we've read about in, in 2 John and 3 John. 
And so these are challenges that we think about. Early church probably was one that, that all of the early churches had to deal with, which was them saying, what is essential in our beliefs? What does it mean for us to be followers of Jesus Christ? What are the teachings of Jesus that we ourselves have received from the apostles that we need to carry and to pass on to others so that they can receive the same gift of faith and of life and of everything else that we ourselves have received? And so the church in 2 Peter is facing similar challenges as they're saying what's essential for us, but then they're also looking and seeing that there are false teachers or other outside pressures that are threatening the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 17 through 22, in these few verses, I want to share with you uh, what, what Peter writes about these false teachers. He says these false teachers are springing up are springs without water, mists driven by the wind. The underworld has been reserved for them. With empty, self-important speech, they use sinful cravings and unrestrained immorality to ensnare people who have only just escaped life with those who have wandered from the truth. These false teachers promise freedom, but they themselves are slaves of immorality. Whatever overpowers you enslaves you. If people escape the moral filth of this world through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, then get tangled up in it again and are overcome by it, they are worse off than when they were before. It would be better for them never to have known the way of righteousness than, having come to know it, to turn back from the holy commandment entrusted to them. They demonstrate the truth of the proverb, a dog returns to its own vomit and a washed sow wallows in the mud. And so in 2 Peter chapter 2, we see what's happening. Is that these false teachers are coming and they're bringing in a different teaching, a different understanding of what it means to be a follower of God and a, a disciple of Jesus Christ. And the scripture tells us in verse 19 that they are coming and they are promising freedom. But they themselves are slaves of immorality. Whatever overpowers you, enslaves you. And so these false teachers are promising freedom. They're promising freedom by freeing the followers of Jesus Christ from the boundaries of what it means to be a person who follows God and who chooses to follow Jesus. The type of freedom that they are offering is different from a freedom where if you have a gate that's normally shut, that all of a sudden is open, and you have an animal find that gate that is now open, what do they do? Don't they take off, usually? Depending on the dog, or if it's our dog, he just stands there and looks out the gate. But anyway. <laughs> but other animals, you know, they're gone, right? When the gate's found. Open. And so I think that's a similar comparison as we're reading this morning's scripture to what these false teachers are trying to say and trying to convey when they're talking about a freedom. Because what they're basically saying is they are saying and they are teaching and they are preaching a religion and a faith that basically is offering all of this freedom and they're doing it not by helping people to grow in their lives, not by helping people to, to embrace the forgiveness that God has given them, not by helping people to, to uh, grow in the grace that, that we are all supposed to grow in. 
But see, they're leaving that gate open of freedom. Where known boundaries are being blurred when it comes to living in response to God's grace. And so these early Christians that 2 Peter is writing to, just like we're told to today, they're, they're coming to, to God and, and they're leaving the past behind. And they're choosing the, the freedom that God offers us in Jesus Christ and they're receiving forgiveness and they're receiving grace. And as they're facing challenges, then they're hearing this message that's saying, well, there's a different kind of freedom that comes in God. And it's one that allows you to continue to do the things that pull you back, that, continue to, uh, that allows you to continue to do the things that, that don't help you to grow in your faith because the boundaries are blurred. And see, I think all of us know how hard it is for us to leave things behind, don't we? To set aside things that at one time in our life have been so important for, to us. But as we've realized that, that there are things that we either need to set aside or at least put them in a much lower uh, place of importance in our life so that we can live more fully into the life that God has offered us and our faith in Jesus Christ. See, these false teachers are basically saying this. We're giving you freedom but you can dwell in the middle of whether it means to, to be a follower of Jesus or of whether it means to just be a part of the church. And so Peter's addressing this. And he's saying that those who wander from the truth and choose the freedom that the false teachers are teaching, well, what does it say? It says that, that if we allow those things to be our things, then they'll overwhelm us. Or in Peter's case, he goes back to, to the Old Testament, to the book of Proverbs, and, and quotes a, a scripture where he says, you know, that, that if you've left something and you return to it, and so he says, you know, a dog returning to its own vomit, or a freshly washed sow that wallows in the mud. Basically, that proverb is saying that, that we're inclined as people to return to that that we know that we should leave behind to return to that that we know that we should leave alone. And so basically Peter's saying, but when these others are teaching this, this freedom, what it's doing is it's allowing you and it's enabling you to return to that which you know that you don't need in part, as part of your life as a follower of God and as a disciple of Jesus Christ and as someone who's received the grace and the hope and everything else that God has given you. Right, the second part of, of 2 Peter that, that spoke to me this week was the portion that we read this morning. It's from the third chapter of 2 Peter. In this passage of Peter, um, Peter ends it with a promise of God that, that we must live according to the promise that God has made to us that Jesus will return. Now we have to go back and, and think about the early church. And, you know, at the, at the beginning of, of the Christian movement in the first hundred years, the people thought that, that the return of Jesus was an imminent thing. They thought that Jesus was coming. They thought that Jesus' return would, would occur most likely in each of their lifetime. And so they lived that way. 
But then see at the time of this letter, so it's 63, 64, 65 AD. And they're starting to have doubts. And they're starting to wonder of of what God is doing and of what the church is doing and of what Jesus really meant when he said that he was going to return. And so people rightfully had questions. And so what Peter tries to to frame to them or to say, even as these others are coming to tell you that this whole Christianity thing is wrong because he's supposed to have come back, he hasn't come back, how can you believe? See, 2 Peter reminding us that it's not ours to know. It's not ours to know what God is doing when it comes to Jesus' return. And what he's saying is it's all part of God's plan when it comes to Jesus returning. That God has appointed a day when when he will usher in a new heaven and a new earth. That God is not slow in keeping his promise and that God's time is just that. It's God's time. It's not my time. It's not your time. It's not anyone else's time. But when it comes to to the return of Jesus and to God's ushering in his kingdom and to everything Jesus said is going to happen, it's not ours to know because it's God's to know. And so basically what he says is in the meantime, you have to live intentionally. You have to live intentionally in faith and what it means to to be a follower of God and of Jesus Christ. You have to live intentionally in what it means to, to prepare for the work of God in this world. And we have to be patient. Because our impatience can get us to a place where we're looking past God. Where the risk is to take our faith from Him. And where the risk is to listen to the scoffers and everyone else that that Peter lists. But instead, we can change our hearts and lives. See, 2 Peter tells us that everything that we have in terms of faith and what it means to be a follower of God and a follower of Jesus Christ is not in our hands, but in His. He tells us that we have to live intentionally, that we have to live faithfully, and that we have to trust And to believe so that we live each day, not in preparation for what we believe God's going to do, but so that we live each day in preparation for what God has planned to do in our lives, in our community, and in our world. Amen.